Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I love that story. Rolling, take one. That's so cute. Is it going to be all right? Yeah. All right. Hello and welcome to All Through Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little bit more than just film photography. I'm Bonya. And I'm Eric. On this episode, we talk to Imran Nuri, who spent a few months traveling through 48 states asking strangers for life advice before taking their portraits. We'll also tell you about a traveling photographer who might not have actually existed. And speaking of traveling photographers, Vanya is on the road right now as we speak and will tell us all about how our trip is going. There's the answering machine, there's zine reviews, so much more. So get your shoes on. We're at grandma's house. It's time for another episode of All Through a Lens. But first, Vanya. Yes. Uh, you are on the road right now. You're actually you're actually recording this in a campground in Texas. I am. And boy, is the humidity a real thing, you guys. <laughs> it's thick. It's there's a thickness in in the air. I'm you know, I'm in my van. I have the windows open, so I apologize for the ducks that have decided to be loud right now that I'm recording and all sorts of other critters. And then, of course, there might be some cars in the distance as well. But it's a beautiful place. I'm extremely happy that I actually have enough Wi-Fi here <laughs> to say hi. So let's, yeah, things are good on the road. Not sure how many more days I got left, but uh, it's been it's been really great so far. That's awesome. We're going to talk to you all about that in the front segment. Yeah. I've been told it's been quite hot on the West Coast, so I know I'm hot and humid over here. How have you been, and how's the weather? It has been hot on the West Coast, but not in the Pacific Northwest. I think we're, like, I think we're still in the mid-70s right here. So, like, a lot of, like, avocado greens and mustard yellows. I, I don't. Shag carpets. Oh, right. Macrame. Yes. Absolutely. So I, about how I've been, I somehow managed to forget to plug this in the last episode, which tells you a whole lot about me. I have a new book out. It is you called, do. I do. And I think you've seen it. Oh my God, I have. It's impressive. Well, thank you. It is called Expired, Photographs on Dead Film. And for this book, I shot a pack of Ansco Superpan Press that expired in March of 1953. So the film is about 70 years old. Ooh, 70s again. Here we go. I know. It's a, a it's a theme. It really is. There were 25 sheets in the pack, and there are 25 photos in the book. So on the page opposite the photos, there's a, a bit of writing about the scene and about how and sometimes why I took the photo. So... One thing to remember is that the uh, film that I used is old as hell. And so some of the photos don't look exactly like technically amazing. If technically amazing is actually a thing. It's a good example of what to expect when you delve into wildly expired film. So this whole thing is a part of a series that I'm working on and have been working on. And I've got several more books that are coming out over the next few years. This one though, this one is $18. 
and it's available on my big cartel site, not Etsy, Big Cartel, which is uh, conspiracyofcartographers.bigcartel.com. There's a link in the show notes, as usual. I wasn't expecting the descript. You were very descriptive. You talked a lot in there about your, you know, about it, and I really enjoy that about you. I think that a lot of people that follow you on Instagram have come to a point where they know that you're going to have a story (laughs) or something to say about a photograph. And I really like that. That was like one of the major reasons why I started following you forever ago. So this is a very much you zine and I highly recommend it. It has all sorts of little extra little things that make it special (laughs) that I'm not going to tell you guys about because when you get it you'll see but yeah it's it's really great and uh congratulations eric it's it's really good you did a very good i mean job. i just I, it's a it's it's, it's self published so i'm not sure if congratulations are in order but but thank you it's impressive to shoot 70 year old film and get pictures out of it <laughs> that is that is true yeah i think this might be the oldest so. film I think it's the oldest film I shot, though there may have been some Panatomic X that was a little older, but this was like definitely the oldest like full pack of film that I've shot. But more importantly than any of this, I finally finished my series rewatch of Facts of Life. Oh gosh. <laughs> Here we go again. So I finished it. I finished all nine seasons. Oh wow. I took the good, I took the bad. I, I took them both. So it, it, I, I, I don't have any much, I don't have much to say about this. I really enjoyed it. It's not for everybody, but I thought since I've talked about it before, I should tell everybody that I am finished finally. It took me a long time to do it. So now I'm starting in on uh, the original Twilight Zone series. Ooh, fun. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's, I'm having a lot of fun with it, but also I'm starting in on Family Ties. Okay. Weird. It's turning well. It is kind of random, but I loved it as a kid, and I wanted to see if it held up. And you know what? It it holds up so much better than most '80s sitcoms do. So, um, and I think that has a lot to do with the writing, but it also has a lot to do with Michael J. Fox, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I guess other than that, I mean, I haven't been doing all that much photographically, photographically speaking. I've been reading a bit of you know some some different books that have come in recently i've been developing a lot uh, scanning a lot sharing a lot i went camping for a weekend and and shot a lot there Uh, mostly x-ray film back on the x-ray i'm i love x-ray film i love the look of it but it's always such a real pain in the ass to develop so yeah yeah but let's start the show all right let's do it So while so each episode we usually put on our house slippers and our cozy gardens to check this answering machine. I think maybe with this episode we'll unzip the tent, climb into our sleeping bags, put on a nice warm hat, a light wrap for the chilly evenings, and check our whatever the camping equivalent of an answering machine might be. I guess <laughs> messages left on the bulletin board. Yes. Yes. So in this case, we ask listeners to uh, leave a message on a bulletin board, answering whatever weird-ass question we come up with, and then we walk over to the bulletin board, check it out, 
and somehow the audio magically appears because podcasts. Ooh, fancy. So, Vanya, what was the question we asked these kind folks this time around? If you could completely forget about a photographer specifically to re-experience their work for the first time, who would it be and why? We had a few people reply, so let's uh, push the button. I'm sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please hang up and check the number and dial again or ask information operator for assistance. This is a recording. Hi guys, Michael here, signing in from my holiday trip in Italy to tell you that despite not having any deep knowledge about some legendary photographers, I too would like to experience Mateusz Szabrowski at Rabbit Analog on Instagram again for the first time. He was my quote-unquote first favorite photographer, but over time his photographs started to bore me a little bit and his style seemed less unique. So I see this chance to see his work for the first time again to make sure whether it's something truly remarkable there. Cheers, guys. Have you ever had that happen? Oh, yeah. I mean, it happens with my work all the time. (laughs) I think I get bored of stuff, so try to switch it around. That's... (sighs) One nice thing about being on the road is I'm not in the ocean, so I can't photograph the same old thing. That's true. I have to try to kind of expand, which is really nice. So I can see that. I think that we're like faced with art constantly. Mm -hmm. I've had a friend travel with me for a few days and I've been super fancy in staying in hotels. Like, (laughs) I I mean, literally so posh you guys (laughs) it's been amazing but even just like the artwork in some of these places is like hilarious and kind of ridiculous but i was talking about it like it's it's just we're just constantly having things pushed in our faces all the time and i don't think we even realize it do you think you should move on when a photographer starts to bore you it kind of reminds me of my blacklist you know how i talk to you about my music blacklist where I oh right decide where there's some music that I just will not touch I will not listen to and it's dead to me for as long as it needs to be yeah it's I would say it's kind of like that it's like okay I need something fresh and just set it aside yeah. until it re-inspires you again and that can allow you to go back to it and obviously you can't completely forget about it so you can re-experience it for the first time but it does allow you to go back with fresh eyes, having you know put it aside for so. a, a number of years or however long you need. I felt a little bit of that when you gave me that role of film for Anya. You sent uh, you sent me just a black and white role, yeah. and I decided to shoot it in the Nikonos. And it's been a while since I've shot with that camera. It's a thirty-five, and I. It was like revisiting the camera and revisiting 35 millimeter. And it was really, it was really nice. I had a, I enjoyed it very much. Well, let's go on to the next. Hey guys, this is Rochelle from Sweet By and By. If I had to re-experience a photographer for the first time, I would love to see Robert Kappa's work again. Um, I was backpacking through Europe and I missed my bus from Warsaw to Lithuania. 
And I was walking around the city looking for something to do. And I found a gallery with an exhibition of his work and his uh, like history of who he was and his whole life story. And I walked in not knowing what to expect. I'd never heard of him before. And four hours later, I walked out with a completely different perspective on what film photography was, what I wanted to capture and what you could do with a camera. Um, so I would love to relive that day and re-experience everything that I learned from that day. After Robert Kappa, I kind of snowballed and I found so many other f great photographers that I admire. And even these days, I'm, I mean, there are thousands, so I'm still discovering so many more. But every time I find someone new whose work I admire, it gives me a, a different perspective on um, viewing the world and what I want to photograph. So I think that's such a great experience. One of the reasons I like this question so much is because, one, it's impossible. But to be able to even just imagine your world changing, like when, when she discovered Robert Kappa, mm -hmm. her world changed. Yeah. But she was at a certain point in her photography and maybe it wasn't the point she needed to be at. I mean, maybe it was, I'm not saying it wasn't. I think it propelled her that way though. I think that's the one thing about art that is so amazing when you get to experience it in, in a particular time in your life where you're willing to absorb it, it kind of propels you forward in like, I think a new, like, oh my gosh, this is so much more than just photography. <laughs> Yeah, but sometimes you can you can discover photographers. Not the whole point of this was. Sometimes you can discover photographers when you're not ready for them. Yeah, I can see that. You know, like you don't know what to do with this. Or you're not at that point where you can even use it. Or maybe you just aren't interested in it. Mm -hmm. But you, you know, after some experience or some life, other life-changing event, suddenly this photographer is relevant to you and what would happen if you had just discovered this person for the first time you know and then sometimes discovering a photographer doesn't really change you at all but it's just kind of a neat experience like that photographer that i uh, discovered in that what was the samuel the samuel butcher museum they yeah. had like another photographer who was local and it, it wasn't like life-changing or anything but it was just like oh that's really neat but i think because of the podcast and because we like historical photographers, I was ready for that. Whereas if I would have discovered him like a few years before, I, w I really wouldn't have cared as much. I would have cared. It's history. It's history. Yeah. But it wouldn't have meant as much. Hello, this is Sarah Leopold. And if I had to choose a photographer to completely forget about and re-experience their work, it would be Francesca Woodman. She was one of the first photographers that really inspired me while in film photography class in college. She really inspired me to do a lot of nude photography work, uh, like a huge part of my work probably within those five years was because of her. You know, after all of that experience and everything that I've done, it would be interesting to see how I do things differently now. Uh, you're, you're not familiar with Francesca Woodman, is that correct? Nope. We have the same okay. name, but that's it. We've. <laughs> that is true. You you do. Um, it's Vanya Woodman, right? Exactly. We've been asked a couple of times by a few different people, not Sarah actually, if we're going to do something on Francesca Woodman, and 
when like the first time I was asked about that, I didn't know who she was. Mm -hmm. And so I looked her up and I looked at her photography and I saw about her life. And if you don't know about her life, Wikipedia is your friend. And if you do know about her life, well, I don't think I'm ready to go there. So I think this is a great example of how I'm seeing, like I'm catching a little glimpse of a photographer and going, nope, not ready for that yet. Yeah, that makes sense. You've brought up a few people where I was hesitant because it's hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're just not ready. Yeah. Because you yeah. want to give the respect, obviously, and you want to you want to do a good job. And sometimes it's hard, especially if their story is really like difficult to to read. Yeah. Um, but what she was saying is, you know, this this woman was incredibly influential on a certain period of her work, Sarah's work. And what would that have been like? to not have had that influence. Because part of this question, that that's the unspoken part, is that you don't have that influence. You know, if you're wildly inspired by somebody and through magic or whatever, <laughs> that person didn't in inspire you, I'm not sure how all this works, but didn't inspire you, you're a different photographer, potentially a very different person because oh, of Oh, absolutely. Well, it kind of, makes me think about just like art school in general and how they kind of break you down and teach you about the masters and teach you all the structure and kind of break down your personality <laughs> and and try to force you to fit in the mold in in a specific way which is really weird to me but that's kind of part of it um so i think that it is important to learn from the masters is it, it is important to to know about these photographers but also being inspired by them but then also like holding your ground on on your work as well and i mean it would be yeah. really interesting for sarah to maybe just revisit some of her old projects and see how much has changed over the years because obviously she's not in school anymore she's been photographing for quite some time it would be really nice to maybe revisit that and see if she can come up with something else hey eric and vanya this is mark o'brien and uh if there is a photographer that um i could rediscover anew um i guess it would be walker evans um he is up there with these kind of subject matter and uh, quality of work that that I've come to appreciate, and uh, he's been one of my favorite photographers for, for many, many years. So I, I would definitely think rediscovering Walker Evans would be a pretty fantastic thing if I hadn't already seen him. Second on that list would probably be uh, maybe Margaret Burke White, and then uh, there's a bunch of others. There's so many good photographers out there. I kind of think that I want to answer the question. I think I want to rediscover Mark O'Brien for the first time as my photographer. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, we could go on and we I will. Know. We have, there's more from Mark coming out over at the, at the end of the episode, yeah. but he is a, a goddamn institution. Yes, he is. I discovered Walker Evans very early on. Someone said, hey, your work looks like Walker Evans a little oh, bit. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. And she's like, well, how do you not know who Walker Evans is? And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know anything at this point, to be honest. <laughs> and so I looked at some of his work and I was like, 
okay. Like it was mostly signs. Cause I shot a lot of signs at that point. I'm like, okay, I, I guess I see where you're coming from with that. Okay. And I think because of that, I've really shied away from Walker Evans. That's so weird to me. Is it? I don't think it's that weird. No, I don't think, I mean, like you said, there's so many photographers out there. Hey, Eric and Vanya, this is Chris Demore. For me, it would be Vivian Meyer. I will remember watching that documentary for the first time and just being blown away by her work. And the romanticized notion of just being discovered overnight is great storytelling in general. So <laughs> that was something I'd love to experience again. Uh, she's also a great reminder of, you know, taking photographs for yourself first and foremost. Um, I, I think about that all the time and what that taught me. But in a broader sense, it made me realize that everyone out there is is collectively creating this archive that is kind of a historical record of our time and and just underlines the importance of film. You know, without a physical medium like that, her work would never have been discovered. And I think um, as long as we're keeping film alive, then then we're we're keeping up with that too. Thanks. It's such a strange phenomenon. Like the whole. I saw the documentary that they... Was it on Netflix? I think it was on Netflix. Did, did you watch it? No, I've never seen it. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's really interesting. And it is pretty neat. I mean, yeah, like, she was an interesting person, to say the least. But the way that she did shoot and kind of gave a little bit of air back into the sales of film photography, in a way, I think a lot of people watched that and was inspired to like shoot film. I don't know when that was released, but I somehow missed it. Maybe it was like right before I was shooting film or maybe it was right before I got onto Instagram. I don't remember what it was, but I definitely missed like the film community's uh, big blow up from, is it called Finding Vivian Mayer? I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, I missed all of that. I remember I was shooting in Jacksonville, Oregon. And someone came up to me and was like, oh, is that like a roll of flax? Like they had seen the documentary. And I was like, okay. actually, it's a hustle blog. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I was like, no, it's a hustle blog. But yeah, it's a film camera, you know, trying to be nice. It kind of gave this like resurgence. And I do think it is important to shoot for ourselves. And it is a documentation. You know, I've said this millions of times. You're... Your street <laughs> might look mundane and boring, but in 30 years, that mundane, boring photograph will be a timestamp of a time that is no longer, that no longer exists. And then all the cars on the street will be vintage and your photos will be cool again. Boom. So our next call is actually our last call and is actually a continuation of an earlier call. And it, to me, it is kind of a thought experiment. The whole thing is, but this is sort of in a different way. So this is Sarah Leopold again, and this is a two-parter here. Um, I don't know if you're going to want to use both of these, but I just realized it would be really interesting to completely forget about Ansel Adams and everything he did and re-experience his work now as an adult who already shot 4x5 and who just in the past few years really started getting into landscape photography. I, I know he's a great photographer and he did some really great things and his photographs are iconic, but at the same time, Back in the day when I was in college, his work was like, 
equivalent um, to, I can't remember that one painter, but he had the most cliche paintings that, like, every person had in the 90s. Anyway, the point is, I feel like maybe I should just re-experience his work now, and it doesn't matter if I completely forgot about it or not, or not, you know? I think there's a lot I can learn from him, and yeah, he's my second choice. Okay, bye. That's gonna be a, a bit a tough one for me. <laughs> to forget about Ansel Adams? Well- no, uh, I mean... <laughs> There's a, there's a standard there for me that, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's mundane, but I also, I didn't, I didn't do much college, um, photography. I just took those classes to use the dark room for the most part. I mean, we did talk a little bit about stuff and I think for the most part, we talked about Ansel Adams in a way that it was more about the manipulation of his, uh, negatives and, and how he prints than anything and so to me it's like all the stuff that's happening with photoshop and all the manipulation people do in cameras like he was kind of doing that like analog style which is kind of badass so yeah i don't know i i think i i think i have um a special place for for him i had a counselor or therapist that I had seen for like a decade uh, when I was raising my two stepsons because it was kind of chaotic. (laughs) So I was talking to this lady and she was like soothing and amazing. And she had this Ansel Adams uh, photograph in the room. And so in Every single emotional state <laughs> that I've, I experienced, I would stare at that picture. And I think after like literal years of staring, it changed the way that I thought about him as a photographer, I guess, in so many ways. So I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's worth rediscovering him if, if it's possible for her to just erase the thoughts that about what she thought about his work then and just go go in like okay this isn't let's pretend this isn't him (laughs) and just this is just a photographer and just stare at his pictures and see what it evokes do you think that he is like the like photography's thomas kincaid no absolutely not okay you don't think so no i would say like ann gettys is that Oh yeah, okay. That's that's probably true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely Sorry, true. Anne. I, I yeah. Um I think he's I don't think the comparison is completely off. I see where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. I don't agree that that he is that he is Thomas Kincaid, but I can I can see why someone would think that he's everywhere. You go to any bookstore and in the world and you look at their photography section, there's an Ansel Adams book. He is, um, he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So again, I can understand that. But that said, because this is sort of my mental hang up with things like Vivian Mayer and, and Walker Evans to an extent, I don't really know Ansel Adams. 
Because yeah. he didn't I, I give, know, like, give him enough attention. I, I purposely avoided him. I wouldn't say I didn't give him enough attention. Uh, I just, I purposely avoided him. You have his books, don't you? Don't you have the negative? I have the negative. Okay. Um, but that is more theory. And I have uh, a couple of books that are that are kind of inspired by him as far as like technique and all that goes. But his actual books and his actual photos and all that, I, I really haven't seen much. I've seen the, the more popular ones, Half Dome, and mm-hmm. I can't think of any others right now. Um, so through like what we've done with like Imogene Cunningham and and Stieglitz and all that, he wasn't, he, he was actually quite a, quite a uh, he was there along with them. Mm-hmm. And I like a lot of his story about how he was teaching. He was fairly wealthy, and he would help out his less, less his less fortunate friends by giving them places to crash or giving them jobs. He was very good at that, and I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But as far as photography, I've probably seen more from that era, his like early stuff, mm-hmm. than I've seen of his his more like contrasty, more popular things. Um, which which sounds so fucking pretentious to say like oh I like Ansel Adams like early but just his, his demo. earlier work <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous and so I think I should I think I should delve into him a little bit but I don't know that I will I think you should I also think it helps to go to some of the same pla- like and I know that I mean I'm sure the last thing on your list is Yosemite but. Well, yeah. Experiencing those places and photographing those places that he photographed too, I think, uh, is something kind of special. I guess I I can't... This is going to sound so shitty. I can't think of a good reason to photograph Half Dome. Uh, Yeah, I can think of like a million. Uh, It's because I'm going to force you to go. Also, you're so close. There's like... Literal. I I'm bet you there's a close. few people that listening clo- that <laughs> live on the other side of the world that is shaking their head at you right now, like, "Oh my God, you bastard!" Okay. Can, <laughs> You're can, so no, let close. Me, let me put it, I I can't think of a I can't think of anything more that I could personally say about it. Well, it's not. I about, don't know how I could do. I, I don't think a it's about it. saying something different. I think it's just an iconic spot that you have to experience in your life. It's like a bucket list. I, spot. I want to. I want to see it. I don't okay. know that I would photograph yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'm not even saying you have to photograph it, but I definitely think oh, you okay. need to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see it. I'll definitely see it. I'll eventually get to Yosemite, hopefully on like well in the off season, v- very off season. Give a listen to our next episode of Dev Party to hear our own take on this question. I honestly don't have an answer for it yet. It's something I'm going to have to think a little bit about. Until then, Vanya, what is the next question? will be asking. Apart from actual film photography, what do you like best about film photography? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Somehow we fucked up something and we meant to ask this a couple of episodes ago. Yep. And I think we did, but we didn't follow through. I don't yeah, know how it all I think we forgot. Worked. Or I don't know. Something happened. It got lost in the weeds. Yeah, I don't know how it happened. So anyway... Call our answer machine, leave us a message. And of course, by call up, we mean go to Instagram and leave us a voice message. And if we like you very, very, very much, and of course we do, we will play it on the next episode. The deadline for that, if you want to get in early, because we announce it on Instagram, but if you want to get in early, the deadline for this 
is Tuesday, September 20th. So for the past, I don't know how many days, 10 days, a week, something like that, it's impossible to know, Vanya has been on the road. Now she has been doing a lot of Route 66 from California backwards, I guess, to Texas. I don't know how that's possible. Route 66 runs east to west, not west to east. But we're going to let her figure that out. Vanya, tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, uh, so I was driving to Waco and I decided that I wanted to take 66 or at least take 66 as long as I could take 66. And the plan was to take six days on 66 (laughs) and maybe make something out of it. So we'll see, you know, if that actually comes to fruition. But um, yeah, it is weird to do a backwards type of Route 66. I've never done it before. I've, I've driven on some of these roads as you know, a younger, you know, like in my mom's car, but never myself. So it was kind of difficult and also interesting. And I noticed um, kind of a pain in the ass, to be honest. How was it a pain in the ass? It's just, just the whole, the Ford, the I, the Interstate 40 kind of really just, kind of cut it up and broke it up a, a ton and yeah. some of it is gone. So then you have to get on the interstate and it's, it can get really confusing. So if you're a non-planner like myself, it can be really difficult <laughs> to stay on 66. <laughs> yeah. A 66 uh, was a highway and it ran uh, from Chicago to LA, like the song it was, says. It's the mother road. It is the mother road. And over the years, bits and pieces of this two lane were replaced with four lane. And then eventually it was quote unquote decommissioned and Interstate 40 took its place for in, in during this stretch. And so, yeah, you're right. A lot of it is gone and a lot of it's impossible to find. So how did you navigate all of that? Uh, well, I brought my friend Pam with me and we kind of used Google Maps and I called you a bunch when I needed you because you've done it like 666 times as well. She's a non-planner as well and we're very much similar in that way where we like, we backpacked through Europe together for like two months and we didn't kill each other, so... We're really good friends. <laughs> um, it helps. We were, at the end, we were very broke, and somehow we got home. I do not know how, but we did. Uh, so yeah, she's the perfect person to travel with. And I was like, "Look, let's just like kind of see how the day goes, and then we can decide what we want to do if we want to stay or we want to go." So that's the way that I like to do things. I know that you don't um no, but i also not, not don't mind traveling with you because you are so planned and i'm kind of i don't know what's going on i'm just following you so it's kind of the same <laughs> thing so um, in a way it is a way yeah a way. it it was i obviously didn't get to ex- i feel like i need so much more time to do it just doing the drive that i did i feel like i still missed 
too much because by the time you get to a certain point in the day where it gets really hot and then you're like, okay, let's make some miles or whatever, it, it, it can get really difficult to stay motivated to continue to like get out and look at some of the old buildings. When you say hot, how hot was it in like Needles, California? I think it was like 115 or 120. Yeah. It was hot. That, that seems that seems right. Yeah. Yeah, it was really yeah. hot. And like we walked out like and honestly like it was cute because the burrows are adorable and I had bought like a bunch of apples and I think that was our first day and all my apples are gone because I like fed them all to <laughs> to the burrows. So I was like, "Dang, I should have brought more apples." That was that was a bummer. The town itself was kind of creepy there was a lot of like come and take it and trump 2020 still one or weird like it was a strange place this was oatman oh yeah sorry yeah. oatman oatman and there was like a fake like shootout on the street which was like kind of funny and gimmicky but i don't know it was it was a strange place but i'm glad that i stopped <laughs> because it yeah. was a it was a fun experience i would say so you, oh, and for our European and Canadian listeners, 115 is about 46 degrees for you folks. Celsius, right? So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned sadness, like it was a little sad. What was oh, yeah. sad about it? Uh, because it's, it's these depressed towns that were vibrant at some point, and you can see the remnants of it. And I do really enjoy driving through small towns and photographing them and it there is a little bit of sadness to it even as I drove through like New Mexico and and in Texas uh, going through some of the smaller towns where you could tell that 60 years ago this place you know it they had a huge town square and it's cobblestone or brick you know lined streets and you could see all these beautiful old buildings that are just not you know empty there's no there's no work there's no business anymore um and there's some sadness to that because yeah. i just well first of all i want to open a store one day so every single town i went to i was like i think this could be my storefront <laughs> you know because it's just these yeah, like insane beautiful gorgeous buildings that i could never rent in los angeles because everything oh, is sure. stupid expensive um but also just was slightly like kind of zombie apocalypse on the six on 66 yeah. it felt like there was a moment where pam was like she's like i really feel like we're going to like some zombies are going to start like popping out because we drove into some areas that were just like destroyed and shot out and mm -hmm. spray painted and completely just disrespected <laughs> in a very sad <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of that out there. It's, it's crazy to see the, Something like that just recently happened on the 101. Um, so I'm up, you know, I used to live up in Crescent City and there's a town called Willits and they did a bypass of it. So you used to be able to drive through Willits and now they bypassed it and you have to actually like, you have to 
make sure you go into Willits you will, or you will pass it. Yeah. And I wonder what that effect, like what that did to the town because it, it, it must have really like hit the town really hard, I'm assuming. And it's kind of the same thing that happened with this inner, you know, with interstate 41, just like, or not 41, but interstate 40, <laughs> just these towns being bypassed, no one going through them anymore. And all these businesses just completely diminished and gone. Yeah. yeah even the tourism of 66 can't save most of these towns. No, they try. A lot of them do. Definitely. So <laughs> since we're a photography podcast, what did you photograph? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, well, I basically shot my RB67 the whole time, and I shot a bunch of portrait, a bunch of black and white. I've, I've been kind of, I've been doing some fresh, and I've been doing some expired, just to kind of like make sure that I have a good mix, just in case yeah. some of the expired rolls don't come out. It's okay. I feel like I have a pretty full set of, of images to to come back to. So I'm, I'm really yeah. excited about that. I also, it was pretty much sunny <laughs> the whole time we were <laughs> out. And I just decided that I was not really going to meet her too much. And I was going to just trust my instincts. And that's kind of what I've been doing this whole trip is just trying to judge the light for myself yeah. and kind of get a little bit more confident in in the choices that I make as far as, um, you know, if I'm going to shoot color black and white and if I'm going to, you know, what am I going to do with this shot? Am I going to go at F16 or do I want to try to go with a shallow depth of field? It's, it's been, it's been really nice. It's also been very strange because I think the last time I've done a big trip like this was with you. So, um, kind of being on my own has boosted my confidence a little bit too in a way mm. because I think I'm just relying on myself to motivate <laughs> to yeah. get out and you know like my car will be finally because the van it's 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 not like a normal van it's like I don't know like a construction van or whatever yeah it's basically a cargo van with like a yes. little bit of amenities but not exactly really. <laughs> so so the air conditioning isn't like great but you know it gets to a point where you're like it's comfortable and yeah. then by the time it gets to that spot i'm like oh i see something outside i want to shoot and i'm like damn it it's gonna take so long <laughs> to get the <laughs> van cold again and you've been in my van when the air conditioners like stopped working in canyon lands like that was kind of a nightmare that was pretty rough yeah yeah that was pretty rough <laughs> so so you got some stuff developed along the way which I is did. kind of a first for you yeah uh when kate said that she was developing on the road i thought that was really cool i was not prepared to develop on the road uh, but I did want to develop on the road. So I was just like, if I find a really cool, like camera store that will like has, that has the option for me to mail my film back, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. 
So yeah, I did. Absolutely. I went into um, Albuquerque and went to Picture Perfect and I dropped off two rolls and I was looking at, you know, what kind of film to buy. And it was really funny because they're like, yeah, we only have, I think it's um, two roll minimum of the same uh, emulsion. Two so roll they- minimum? Yeah. No. Like, I'm sorry, two maximum. Oh, okay. Two, I'm sorry, two maximum. So, like, I couldn't just grab four rolls of, like, Portrait 400. I could only grab, like, two if I wanted to. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I was like, okay. I was like, you know, that makes sense. They want to, like, make sure they have enough for everybody. So, I yeah. totally respect that. So, I got a couple rolls, and it was all good. And, um, yeah, it was, like, probably one of the coolest, like, experiences, I guess. Um, that... I've had as far as like the podcast goes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, like I, I said my name and the lady uh, that was checking me out when she was like, you're not the podcast Vanya, right? And I'm like, uh, yes. <laughs> like there's another. <laughs> it was really, it was really sweet. So um, that is, that's really wonderful. I just felt kind of welcomed in, in such a great way. And I feel sad because i only got to spend like such a little time and albuquerque is kind of badass like i definitely need to go back and stay much longer yeah yeah i like albuquerque a lot it's very nearly moved there (laughs) anything else yeah so i think i'm just going through the tail end of my trip and i don't know how everybody else deals with this um there comes a time where it's almost like a crossroads of like, should I just jet home and like get back to my life and work because, you know, I have a pile of shit to do or should I just try to enjoy the last couple days that I have? And I'm there. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine. We all get there on these longer trips. Yeah. It's so tempting to just, you know, haul ass home. I always recommend not doing that, but sometimes I do it. It's yeah. always a bad idea, though. I always regret it. Oh, my gosh. Every single time. Every single time I do it, I regret it. Yeah. And it's not that I, like, don't want to be home. I love my house. And I, you know, I love my puppies. And, you know, it's great. But, yeah, I need to, I think I just need to give myself a day or two to kind of decompress from all the travel that I've been doing and kind of refocus to yeah. continue. Because I... I am not feeling what you said you felt where you were done shooting. I do not feel that. So I feel like I, I think I should try to push a few. Just try to squeeze in a couple more days while I can. I absolutely agree with that. Because who knows when I'm going to be able to do a trip like this again. Excuse me. How's it going? Not too bad. Hey, can I ask you a question real quick? So I'm a photographer. I'm currently driving across the country and I photograph strangers. And every time I talk to a stranger, I ask them for some kind of life advice. You got like two minutes real quick and I can ask you my question. This past summer, photographer Imran Nuri spent three months living out of the trunk of his car. He traveled to 48 states and asked over 1,000 people if he could take their portraits. But more importantly, he asked if they could impart upon him some sort of life advice. Fortunately, we were able to sit down with him for a chat just after he finished up developing nearly 100 rolls. 
So, let's give it the hell up for Imran Nuri. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you both. I'm, I'm Imran. Thank you so much for coming on to talk with us. Tell us just a little bit about how you got into photography. Yeah, of course. You know, photography, I, I, I'm, I'm 24 years old. I was born in 97, and so I grew up on digital cameras. I know. And so I, my photography for me, I really got into it by taking like disposables or taking three megapixel digital cameras on field trips. And I just loved snapping away. And as I got a little bit older, um, I, I think when I really started to get more serious about it was when my dad purchased a DSLR. It was a Canon T2i Rebel and didn't use it. You know, classic dad moved to buy something expensive and not use it. So I picked it up and started learning how to use it. And I practiced by going to football games and photographing the student section because I didn't really care about football, but I wanted to get better. And, uh, you know, like anything, you get better by doing it. And so I, I just went to football games and photographed the student sections and I would do, you know, senior photography, things like that. And nothing really brought me the kind of joy uh, that I wanted to get out of it, but I got better. When I, after going to college, I kind of put it aside. I do little headshots for people here and there, but nothing crazy. I've, I've always been an oil painter. As a painter, I loved like the the uh, the Rembrandt style of of painting, very yes. uh, dramatic, very like the singular lighting that gave everything these really moody shadows and feelings to it. And when I the first time I saw Gregory Crudson's work. I was like, oh my God, that's photography. You know, that looks like a painting. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, I think honestly, Gregory Crutzen alone was one of the biggest shifts in, in how I viewed photography as more than just this thing that you take event, event photos or senior photos. I, I started to realize, oh, this is an art form. Mm -hmm. And I started learning about how he created his photos, you know, putting together six figure budgets to create basically a movie set and then make one photo. So you just did kind of this like massive project just because maybe some people are not aware of it. Give us a little rundown about about it. Well, what I just did is I drove across the country for 84 days. I went to all the lower 48 states, drove over 15,000 miles, all in pursuit of asking 1,000 strangers for life advice. It kind of insane. I quit my job to do it. I didn't even have all the money to make it happen. But when I asked myself, and I know we'll get to this later, but when I asked myself, if I knew I was going to die in a year, what would I change about my life? And that was it. Like, it was it was clear as day to me. I was like, I would go see the whole country. I would talk to strangers and I'd try to figure out what it actually means to make the most of life itself. And, you know, again, I'm 24. I hope <laughs> I live a, a nice long life. I hope I have plenty of time left, but people die young all the time. And I thought mm -hmm. I have to do this. I, I, I just felt called to do it. So that's what I just did. I wrapped it up a few weeks ago. I actually just finished developing the film this past weekend. I just finished scanning all of the film. Oh, congratulations. Uh, I shot it entirely on a uh, Yashica Mat 124G with T-Max 400 film. Uh, you know, I know gear gear's not everything, but if anybody's curious, that is what I used. And I didn't really <laughs> see the photos along the way. You know, it, it was just... I guess the old school way of doing things. I just had bags and bags and bags of film uh, all labeled with their date, just waiting for it. I travel a bit with film. Could we get into like just some practical things before we get into kind of the more, yeah. the loftier stuff that was going on with your trip? How did you keep your film from, I mean, it was hot this summer. How did you keep it cool? Yeah. So I, I, for, I had a cooler in the back, like in, in my, in my truck. And, and to give you a, a picture of what this was, I was in a Toyota Camry. 
And so I had a, a cooler in my trunk and the first couple of weeks I tried to keep bags of ice in there just to kind of keep it a little bit cooler. Mm-hmm. And all of my film were, they're all 120 rolls wrapped in their, you know, Kodak wrappers. And then within that they were in Ziploc bags. So I thought should be perfect. If the ice leaks out, it'll be fine. And what I realized after a few weeks is that Ziploc bags can take in water if they're submerged. I didn't know that. So <laughs> I was like, it's fine. You know, all the film was individually wrapped. Seems all right. I took, you know, I stopped putting ice in the cooler and, you know, uh, maybe another week went by. And then at one, at one day I was in DC, I opened up a roll and it was soaked. Like, you know, I opened up a roll, it's totally soaked. And I'm just sitting there in front of the Capitol building. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> how many rolls did I just lose? So I ran back to, I was staying at my brother's place that week. I so ran back to his place and individually opened up every single roll of film. I lost 10 rolls that were unexposed. Luckily, I, I, I stored my exposed rolls in that middle console in like the cabin area. Okay. And every few weeks, I planned to just ship it back to my dad's place in Columbus, Ohio. Smart. Um, yeah, so no more ice after that, but I did store my film in the cooler. And then after that, after realizing that ice was not the move, uh, I would start to store my shot rolls, my exposed rolls in the cooler as well. No ice, just yeah. just to keep it dry. And mm-hmm. I also had a, a dehumidifier in there, like a damp red bag. How many damp red bags did you go through? I, I went through two full damp, damp red bags. They said they're <laughs> supposed to last up to 90 days. So really, I shouldn't even have gone through one, but... It's, it was pretty nasty. I mean, you know, you said, let's talk about the logistics, sleeping in my car in a Camry and hot, you know, oh, not, not the best, but yeah, two full damp red bags. Amazing. You slept yeah. in your car? <laughs> yeah, I slept in the front seat of my car to make this happen. Uh, well, okay, well, we'll get to that. So you used yeah. a, a Yashica 120, uh, what, what Yashica? 124G. Yep. Okay. And, and the film? Yeah, Kodak T Max four hundred. T Max four hundred. Why? Why T Max? Yeah. So I, I played around with this idea a little bit in, when I was in Chicago beforehand, and I tried out T Max one hundred, T Max four hundred, HP five. You know, I, I landed on T Max four hundred just because I liked how gritty it looked. Uh, you mm. know, the, the truth of the matter was that T Max four hundred had more grain, and I thought that because I take photos of the strangers I talk to from a little bit more of a distance it does obscure more of the details of their face. And I think that's a little, uh, maybe a little bit of a controversial opinion among like portrait photographers that like, oh, sure. it's more important to see the wrinkles in their face. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? It's actually more important to me to, to get the big picture. And I want to see where they were, you know, what they were wearing and you can get their facial expression from any distance. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked that T-Max 400. It wasn't overly fine. You know, I was like, if I really wanted the finest image possible, I would have shot digital. So when you would approach a person, how did that go? How'd that transaction go? Yeah, I so I had a couple of rules for myself um, on how on who who fit my criteria, mm-hmm. and mostly that was just I liked to interact with people when they were alone. And I thought that they gave me more genuine answers that way, where they were more willing to be vulnerable. They weren't really worried about what their friend or family member next to them was going to say. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, I went. I, I would try to find someone who was alone. This was typically in a city or a park. And I would walk up to someone, I'd always be holding my camera in my right hand, and I would walk up to them and say, excuse me, can I ask you a question real quick? If you had to tell me one thing that you figured out recently that you wish you knew when you were younger, what would that one thing be? Like, what do you wish you knew earlier? And of the over a thousand people I talked to, 
only three people straight right off the bat said no. Like they, I can't even ask them a question. Beyond that, most people let me give them my spiel. I'd be like, hey, I'm driving across the country. I'm talking to strangers, asking them for life advice. Can I ask you a life question? You know, of the the many people I talked to, maybe only 200 said no, sorry, I'm like busy or don't want to answer the question. And then the other thousand said uh, yes. But that's that's kind of how I'd approach people. And I had an amazing success rate, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's only 200 people saying no and almost all of them being extremely polite about it that's yeah it's pretty solid right yeah that's really really good did you have a certain number for each state i tried to get around 20 per state okay. um nice. yeah but yeah and i counted dc as one of my states as well okay. so you know between the 49 you know states in dc wasn't perfectly even there were some i think at the i think there was only one state where i had like 15 people so i was off by five or six mm-hmm. eric do you want to guess which one that is i'm gonna say seattle for 15 but i don't know I mean, I mean, Washington. Washington? Yeah. What was it? What was the the hardest state to get people to answer questions? (laughs) That's so funny because Washington was one of the hardest ones. That's that's (laughs) really funny. We're horrible. (laughs) (laughs) He lives in Seattle. So, yeah, that's what I figured. We're not unfriendly, but we're not friendly. I, had a really, I, was, I was so surprised. I don't know. I saw, I'd never been to the Pacific Northwest. Mm. I was surprised. I think um, I actually didn't go around Seattle. I went around Tacoma and then Ooh. stayed with a friend in Seattle. And I don't even know why I didn't go around Seattle. I think I was just <laughs> on my way. I ended up going to Spokane. And in oh, Spokane, yes. I was one of the hardest cities yep. to get people to talk with me. I, I was I was like shocked. It was a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. Um, there were tons of people around, but I just got no after no after no there. And the <laughs> only other place that was like that there were a handful of places that were a little bit more challenging, but the only one that was like Spokane was Delaware. Mm. Um, when I was in Wilmington, same deal. It was just no after no after no. And and I don't know what it was. You know, I'm not sure. Most other places, people were just totally receptive to it. There were some states that I didn't even get a single no. Uh, but yes, yeah, it's, it's funny that you guessed that. You just knew. <laughs> what was the most one or two of the most friendly states? Okay, Bozeman, Montana, specifically. Bozeman, Montana was unreal. People were so... I've never felt like people have been so happy in the way that people in Bozeman were. Um, That was was so fascinating to me. I think other than that, I was really pleasantly surprised by how nice people were to me in the Deep South. You know, I'm a brown man. I've never really spent time in the Deep South. I was really nervous about that to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I decided for myself that I wasn't going to venture into like rural areas of the deep South and I ended up doing it anyway in some places. Right. And I made some really great friends, you know, like the mm-hmm. first nice. time a stranger hosted me on this trip was mm-hmm. in, uh, I think Brookhaven, Mississippi, a, a town of like 12,000 people. And some guy in a coffee shop who was my age was like, Hey, like we've got an extra bedroom. My wife yeah. and kids would be happy to host you. And <clears throat> he taught me how to ride a motorcycle. And then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he showed me his guns. And I was like, yeah, amazing, you know, where wow. we, we still chat, you know, to this day, a few months later. And so, yeah, there were, there were some that stood out. Deep South was surprisingly pleasant for me. Let's take a listen to one of the clips now. I mean, it sounds like really cliche, but just like, like following the things that give you joy. I know that's silly. I guess rest, I think, is my advice in any way you can, do with less to do more, you know? Do with less to do more. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I've never heard that before. (laughs) Do you think like you were just hustling too much when you were younger or what? 
I was hustling too much and I have since been traveling a lot. Okay, that's and good. And <laughs> you'll understand this. Um, when you travel a lot, you realize how little you need things. Mm -hmm. Like you need, what do you need? Like two pairs of pants, four shirts, yep. right? Like yep. I fit all my clothes the into bare one minimum, duffel right? bag. Yep. You're never gonna For take like more than months. a duffel bag. Exactly, yep. <laughs> yeah. exactly. So yeah. like changing my life to where I'm, you know, a one duffel bag person and I can, I can take it and I can take my family and we can go wherever we need to be. Did you have any issues like just being a person of color anywhere? Like were there some places that you just decided to continue to move on? Did you notice any kind of difference in treatment? Oh, yeah, totally. And it, it, it was really interesting because I think I'm not a threatening looking person. I know this about myself. Yeah, of course not. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm a staggeringly tall, five feet, six inches on a good day. I was usually wearing my yellow Crocs and, you know, I, I'm not America's worst nightmare as, you know, an Indian brown man. But <laughs> I will say, you know, I, I noticed a lot of these things across the country. I, I, was, I was really aware of it. And I think I've always been aware of when, if somebody is staring at me, I typically know why. But, they, you know, it could be I, I knew when it was because it was my camera. I knew it was because of my Crocs. And I know when someone's just staring at me because I'm brown. In the Northeast, when people stared at me, it was like with a disdain, you know, it was like a, you are not supposed to be here right now. Mm -hmm. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I was surprised by that too, because I've, I've spent time, you know, in the Northeast area and I've noticed things here and there, but I really, like after spending time in all of the States there, noticed that a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, East coast was totally fine. Deep South. Again, I was most nervous about the deep South before starting my trip. And the stares I got in the deep South were like, it was so clearly curiosity. Mm -hmm. and, and Like, and what in, are you doing in, here? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, we've never seen you here before. Never even, you know, it was, it was, it was almost as if like, they'd never even seen someone who looked like me. It was total curiosity. It wasn't with any kind of like malicious intent. Mm -hmm. And so what I noticed is that in the Northeast, people would stare and they wouldn't say anything. In the Deep South, people would stare and they'd ask. They'd be like, what are your, what's your ethnicity? And I was surprised to not get the, like, where are you from question. <laughs> people were really cautious about it. They, they were, I could tell. Nice. They slowed down and say, what is your ethnicity? Or, you know, they'd pause like that. Or they, yeah. what, what is your nationality? And I'd be like, oh, you know, like my parents immigrated from India in the early 90s. I'm a born and raised kid from Ohio. And so like deep South was really, really fascinating in that way. People were curious. They were, they were, they were, uh, they felt free enough to ask the questions about my, the color of my skin and my ethnicity. Mm -hmm. As I moved into the Southwest area of the country, that super diverse area. I was like, I'm interacting with a, a lot more native Americans than I've ever interacted with before. A lot more Latinx folks than I've ever interacted with before. You know, it, it was an amazing like melting pot. And then again, Pacific Northwest was like, got a little bit more white and the staring was, I think not as prevalent as the Northeast, but when it did happen, it was a similar like feeling. And then when I got back to the Midwest, it was like, okay, this is where I'm born and raised. So it, it was a little bit more like comfortable, I guess. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it, I mean, I think that was a concern for, for me from the beginning and for all my friends and family. This is yeah. a time of uh, a really wild racial tension in, in the U.S. Um, yeah. And so, you know, for me to be like, hey, I'm going to go everywhere and talk to strangers. Yeah. People were like, you're insane. You know, <laughs> why? Why put yourself at that risk? And in reality, I was fine. But you, you were aware. Just like I'm traveling, I'm a female. I'm aware that I have to be cautious. Exactly. Yeah. Were you surprised by... Uh, any like, specific beauty? 
Uh, I think what I was most surprised by was New Mexico. The landscape is unlike anything I've I've ever seen personally, right? As I think the mountains I've seen in my life have mostly just been Colorado and a little bit of California. And so once I was like within them, I couldn't believe it. And then Wyoming is a state that I, I got to be honest, I've never even really given thought to. I've never, I don't have an opinion about Wyoming. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then once I was there, I, I was like, this is the most beautiful, you know, random state that I've, n- I've never been to that I, I can't believe I never even thought about. I mean, drove I drove straight through a, um, some forest there, straight to the top of a mountain. I was like 11,000 feet elevation, met a bunch of people up there, and there were no cars on the road. So unlike the roads uh, and state parks in Colorado, Wyoming was just it was empty, you know, in the best way, you know, it's kind of nice because you can appreciate nature in a a totally different way when you have it to yourself like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Those states definitely surprised me. Did you get a tattoo? I did. (laughs) I got a tattoo of a 120 roll of film. Uh, So you probably saw this on my TikTok, right? Yeah. Yeah. Met a guy who was also going around the country talking to strangers who was also from Ohio. Uh, We met in Colorado Springs totally by chance and uh yeah you know his his story is essentially that he's got stage four terminal cancer and so he's using his remaining time on earth to uh go around getting matching tattoos with strangers and i've never gotten a tattoo before but i was like if this isn't a sign from the universe or god or whatever (laughs) you believe in i don't know what is you know i would never ever you know i don't think i would ever stop regretting if i didn't get that tattoo absolutely yeah that's incredible was it his idea or your idea so it's my idea. That's what he does. He lets the the people he gets his matching tattoos with decide. Oh, so he got a, okay. a little 120 roll on his knee. And I, I just thought to myself, I've never gotten a tattoo before. It wasn't something that I actually was like actively looking for. But I thought it, whatever it is to me, it, it's going to remind me of him, Don, Don Kasky. Whatever he gets, it has to remind me or has to remind him of me, right? And so I'm like, who else is going to tell him to get a, a roll of <laughs> T-Max 400? Mm-hmm. I was like, do you have any other rolls of film on your body? He goes, no, I've got a couple cameras here and there, but... You know, I, I don't know who else even has a tattoo of a 120 roll. No, that's fantastic. You know? Yeah. How many rolls total? I had 87 rolls. Okay. So you're closing in on a thousand ish photos. A thousand forty two. So I had okay. two blank photos and then a thousand forty two. And then only a few of those are not strangers. When I was in Salt Lake City, that that Friday was when uh, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And so I an- attended a protest there. Yeah. And it was so fascinating because I was like, I'm glad I can be at this protest and, and you know, support women and anybody who can get pregnant. But also Salt Lake City is gorgeous. Oh, I love so Salt Lake City. It was really, really fascinating. I was like, I have to use at least one rule to capture how many people turned out and their Capitol building is on a hill mm-hmm. ac- across mountains. I was like, for as bad as the situation is, this is a pretty beautiful place to protest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so some of those photos are protest photos from that day. That's awesome. Let's listen to another clip. Hard work and dedication pays off. Yeah. And, and, and religion. You know, believing in God. You know, he's, he's, he's actually, uh, he, he really exists. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Hard work, dedication pays off, and believe in God. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. So uh, about the advice, was there an average answer? 
the vast majority of people, I think, talked about some element of time. So they would say something like, I wish I knew how important it was to enjoy every moment, or and, you know, that's a pretty simple, basic one, but it's a good one. Um, or people would say, I wish I would have traveled more in my 20s when I was fit, you know, coming from an older, an older person. Or, um, you know, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time being somebody who I knew I wasn't. And I got those answers quite a bit. And so, you know, being yourself is probably the core message of that. But when you take a step back, it's really about wasting time. You know, like I wasted my 20s being someone that my parents wanted me to be. And now I'm in my 30s or 40s or whatever, even like, you know, 70s. And they're like, I'm finally who I'm supposed to be. And wow, life is great when you're who you are, when you know you are who you're supposed to be. I can see that. That's it's perfect, actually. Was that pretty universal from like urban to rural and across the ages? I think so. Yeah. Really? I, again, from like from what I can remember and how I felt from hearing all these things, definitely. I mean, the youngest person in my series, I think, was 13 years old. And I never really approached kids. This was somebody who I was in New Mexico. I was at some dirt pit where people were racing dirt bikes. And uh, I, I went up to his dad and he was like, actually, he's the spokesperson and pointed to his 13-year-old son whose advice to me was, I, I, wish, I wish I knew how important it was to enjoy every moment. You know, that's when I asked him, how old are you? He goes, I'm 13. And I was like, how did you figure that out? And tra tragically, I and mean, that was one of the ones that sticks out the most. Tragically, he figured it out because one of his classmates, you know, recently took his own life. Yeah, you know, this is a 13-year-old kid who has a serious understanding of like the fragility of life and could give that advice really confidently too. Like I'm excited to share his audio because he said it like perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, and so things like that really stuck out. So yeah, like that he was a young one who said enjoy every moment and then I had people who were in their 80s saying the exact same thing and I was just like wow, you know, that that for me says there is a universal way to like to really make the most of life. Mm -hmm. And that must be a piece of it, is to appreciate every moment, the good, the bad, and in between for what for what they are. Yeah. I think the last thing I'd, I'd just love to share is like this, my kind of way of thinking for photography, especially, is that um, I, th I think it's important for people to remember that your work doesn't have to be perfect. Your skills don't have to be substantial to create, right? Everybody can create. And so for me, I knew that my photos aren't going to all be amazing. Some of them will be amazing and some of them will be terrible. And that's all part of a bigger picture. It's all part of a bigger story, a bigger process. And so I think the, just the last thing I want to say is that for anybody who might be listening, who's, who's got an idea or wants to explore something, like just do it. You know, again, life is short. That's the big takeaway from all the life advice that I got is that life is very short and you don't want to wait until, you know, you've got some arbitrary qualifications to do it. So how can people get a hold of you and, and find out what you're doing and follow you? Best place to follow me is probably on TikTok. Mm -hmm. I feel like TikTok is where I can really share openly about everything. I, my uh, my TikTok handle is Imran Shrimp. My, my Instagram is Nuri Studios. But yeah, I think TikTok and YouTube are probably the best, actually. And your name on YouTube? Uh, I think it's just my my first and last name, Imran Nuri, and I should pop up there. I'm so like yeah, thankful for great. you last minute saying yes. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> of course. No, I appreciate you reaching out. Seriously, like we're very thrilled to have you. This is great. I'm so excited. Awesome. Okay, well, we'll let you go. Have a good evening. Well, enjoy your evening and, and, and safe travels to Texas. <laughs> awesome. All right. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. All right. Uh, let me get all of you in the picture. This is perfect. 
Oh man, the sun's shining on you just right. All right, you ready? Three, two, one. Got it. Well, Vanya, you have been doing a little bit of traveling, like we've talked about yourself. Yes. So it's getting a little late there, and I would like to read you a, a bit of a bedtime story about, Ooh. yeah, about a photographer, question mark, named Miss Mary Winslow. So it's from the March 16th, 1885 edition of the San Francisco Examiner, and, and I first heard about it from a book titled Camera Fiends and Kodak Girls, edited by Peter Palmquist. We've talked about the book before a little bit. So the newspaper, The Examiner, apparently featured profiles of women every now and then, especially women who were part of the new woman movement. And I'm not even a tiny bit qualified to delve into what made a woman part of the new woman movement in the late 1800s. But, but basically, it was a feminist movement that served as a sort of rebellion and slash moving on from Victorian ideals. Both nice. photography and bicycling were integral parts of the movement. Uh, I love that. Yeah, I do too. It's weird that that, <laughs> that, that the, at the end of the 1800s, bicycling is is one of the bicycling is one of the things that marked you as a feminist. That's awesome. I mean, I could I could see you're, you know you have yeah. to. For sure. S- squat and spread your legs and it's it's odd. It, it, especially for Victorian, yeah, especially side saddles, going from going from side saddles to bicycles. Yeah, big yeah. difference. So oh, yeah. really women traveling at all was a big part of it. Women were now going to school, joining the workforce and having a damn good time just being women. At this point though, women couldn't vote, but they could finally own property. So... I do want to dig into the new woman and photography in, in an upcoming episode. And we, I'll be reading uh, the book, uh, the, the new woman behind the camera by Andrea Nelson at some point, somewhat soonish. It actually just arrived today. And oh, I'm very sweet. excited about it. Yes. So I will read this to you. Feel free to stay awake if you can. And I'll do my best. <laughs> yes. And interrupt any, at any point to uh, talk, talk about whatever you want to talk about. And after I'm through, there's a little bit of a surprise. Ooh, okay. So, the new woman's camera. Miss Mary Winslow travels all over the country in a cart taking photographs. This is the article here. To be a traveling photographer is a new departure even for the new woman. But that is what Miss Mary Winslow has been for the past three years. She intends to follow the business all her life. Unless she gets so rich that her time will be all occupied in taking care of her money. And even then, she thinks she'll have to steal out for a short trip once in a while. She has already amassed $2,500 towards the fortune. She travels in a buggy alone and thinks nothing whatever of driving her own horse over any road where someone else's horse has been driven. She is 25 years old, shrewd, self-reliant, and not afraid of anything. Her only arms are a revolver and a man's hat and she goes wherever she pleases. She makes views and outdoor portraits, and they are good ones too, but it was not always thus. When she first started her photographic trip, she was familiar with the theory of photography and understood chemical reactions, but as far as practical knowledge of the apparatus was concerned, she hadn't the least bit, 
but she was tired of the city life. So she left San Francisco with the determination to make pictures or die. And she made pictures. Her first attempt was to photograph two young men who wanted to immortalize themselves and their load of hay. Mm-hmm. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? Of course. Was it, were they show bales or, <laughs> or was it just hay? I think they were play bales, actually. Hmm. Yeah. It's hard to tell the difference if it's, you know, if you don't have a trained eye. Mm. Anyway, the tripod behaved like an elephant. And as for focusing, she, she simply wasn't in it. When she discovered that a certain part of the camera worked back and forth, she restrained a desire to toss up her hat and say, Eureka! and proceeded to make two negatives with the plate holder securely closed. She was out three weeks on this undertaking and carried home with her enough orders to net her $125 after making due allowance for accidents when she made the negatives and also for failures in developing. For with characteristic independence, she learned to develop by developing. Mm, I love that. That's very much me. That It is. That that's reminded me very much of you. <laughs> <laughs> like everything about her is kind of pretty awesome as she has a small buggy she can carry only a limited outfit and has to depend largely upon the courtesy of resident brothers of the craft for the development of such of her negatives as she cannot keep until her return home and the making of her proofs this is no great drawback to her success, however, as she invariably finds them obliging and willing to lend her such help as she needs. For finishing, she usually takes her negatives to her headquarters in San Francisco and prints from the window of her private room, in which same room she tones, mounts, and does all the other things that are necessary to produce a first-class photograph, and for them, she gets first-class prices. Mm. So, Vanya, do you find men to be helpful? I try to avoid asking too many opinions because well, they're pretty they're pretty good about letting me know <laughs> yeah i mean we we do like to save you the trouble of asking for our opinion oh yeah absolutely when the weather grows warm in the spring she dons a short plain traveling suit hitches up her horse and bids farewell to home and friends to return only when she happens to feel like it she has been three times to san jose over three different routes stopping everywhere on the way once to Marysville, once to Yosemite, once to Los Angeles, and has completely done all the country bordering on the bay. Sometimes she stays four to five weeks in a lively town where business is good, and at other times she drives day after day through mountainous country, places where the coyotes stand by the side of the road and look at her in astonishment. When night finds her a long way from any place where she can get bed and board, she puts on a man's hat and a black alpaca ulster, as some sort of disguise for her sex, sees that her revolver is in good working order and feels perfectly at home and without any fear of even a tramp. <laughs> she, she picked up a stray tramp by mistake late one evening, thinking him to be a nice old countryman with a heavy bundle who had been to town and would be glad for a lift on his way home. His home didn't materialize, and the bundle proved to be a frying pan and ham, so she decided that she had rather ride alone. And driving up upon a watering place where there were a number of men standing, she informed her passenger rather decidedly that he had better make that his stopping place. He did so, and she drove on. Lucky her. Um, well, that doesn't seem right, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, yes, lucky her indeed. 
the traveling photographer has a range and latitude in selecting subjects that is simply without bounds. But Miss Winslow's native Yankee shrewdness prevents her from speculating in pictures until she is sure of a sale. Never but once has she been cheated out of her pay, and that, strangely enough, was by a woman. A pretty little schoolteacher engaged views of the schoolhouse with and without children, of herself with various surroundings, and of her numerous friends, and made herself security for the whole amount. The security proved worthless, and all the artist gained was a little experience. Her route is never mapped out before she starts, as she believes with the bird that wherever it wisteth there to flee is the proper way of conducting business. Acting on this principle, she went with a party to Yosemite, where she duly admired the wonderful, had a jolly time, and made photographs at the same time. On her return, she astonished the party with such pictures that every one of them bought two or more sets apiece, and in this way, they not only paid all of her expenses, but a good deal more. This seems a little too positive. Like, she's, there's got to be something that happens. <laughs> well, Like, we her shall horse goes lame or something. I mean, this is just too good well, of a story. Just after her return from the Yosemite, Miss Winslow received word from some real estate agents in Los Angeles, acquaintances of hers, that they wanted some photographic work done. And she started, not on the train, but in her buggy to do it for them. She reached there in good time, accomplished the work in the most satisfactory manner, and drove home again, all the way alone. The expense of the entire trip, including all of her stopovers, was covered by the amount she earned picturing orange groves, cottages, and broad acres at Los Angeles. And she made a clear profit of all the work she did on the way there and back. You're obviously very familiar with the broad acres in Los Angeles, right, Vanya? Oh, God, yeah. There's so many orange orange fields <laughs> no not anymore it's all gone so sad mm, it is she doesn't like the country on account of the inhospitality of the farming people which she says is widespread and prevalent very often when in need of food for herself and horse she has been absolutely forced to call on the proprietor of a crossroads saloon to find it not that she hasn't a woman's dislike for such places, but she had to go there or go hungry, and she doesn't believe in doing the latter when there is food to be had. She has always been treated with the utmost deference by the manager and all those around him. Indeed, the only time she's ever been made to feel fear on account of being a woman was when, having been belated, she attempted to drive to San Francisco at 10 o'clock at night after a payday. She was accosted by half a dozen drunken hoodlums, but giving her horse a sharp cut with the whip. She escaped and drove at a furious pace to the nearest livery where she left her rig and went the rest of the way on the cars. She isn't anxious to try that experiment again, though. The photographic work, as she does it, is not merely a peculiar fad, but, as she herself expresses it, is for pecuniary pleasure, with duplicates always in order. <laughs> and that's the article. <laughs> it sounds too good to be true to be honest i wish it was that easy it just doesn't seem real well um and this sounds like we're setting this up this is not a setup um so here's the surprise i don't think mary winslow was a real person of course i knew it um it, it is too good to be true in a lot of ways now you can always embellish but okay so 
we've talked, you and I have talked about the podcast Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols before. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's about the history of women photographers. It's a wonderful little podcast. Uh, they did a whole episode on this Mary Winslow character and there's mm -hmm. essentially nothing else out there at all about her. There's no evidence that she and her photos ever existed. There's hmm. a little bit more to this story, but I don't want to step on the the Photograph, Pistols, and Parasols podcast. Uh, I don't want to step on their toes. So I'm not going to go into it, but I think you should check that out. It's a wonderful episode. And there's a bit more, like I said, there's a bit more to the story. But my question here is, why do this? Why invent such a story? It's obviously not a parody. They're not making fun of the new woman or traveling photographers or this person they created. It's, they're really They're really building her up. Who wrote it? Was it a man or a woman? It's anonymous. Damn it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so the examiner would run a lot of profiles of women and, and all the other times, those women were real. But this mm -hmm. one clearly, pretty clearly is not real. Yeah, it seems too good to be true. Yeah. Uh, the article has no byline. It's completely anonymous, like I said. I mean, it, it could. So my theory on it is this. And I have no evidence whatsoever this is true. It is somebody who was assigned to write this story. Mm -hmm. They did not have a story. Mm -hmm. But had a photographer, a friend, who was really good at daydreaming. Oh, like me. <laughs> like you. And <laughs> they couldn't find anything to actually write about, so they just made this up. Mm -hmm. And... I, I think I would have done the same thing. Sometimes we yeah. get writer's block in certain areas, but not in other areas. And so maybe the writer's block for fiction was wide open. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like I said, it sounds too good to be true. It's like, it sounds like a dream. She's being, she's successful. She travels well. She's protecting herself. She's a strong, independent woman. And, yeah. um, you know, for that time period, it just, it just doesn't really fit. I just don't think it would have been that easy to get away with all the things that, you know, they have her it doing. Yeah, you're right. It really sounds like an advertisement for the new woman and for Absolutely. photography. And I think it's, I think that's probably what it was. It was sort of a, a feminist. Um, oh my gosh. She was like an influencer. <laughs> well, in a way, yeah, they're, they're writing about an influencer, but yeah. this is not a real influencer. This is just somebody who probably didn't exist. So there you have it. The probably not true story of Mary Winslow. And again, I want to plug photographs, pistols and parasols. I think they're on an extended break but there are over 60 episodes to listen to. Oh yeah, there's plenty to listen to. Yeah. It's and wonderful. Hopefully. Absolutely go check it out. Hopefully you all check it out. And we'll of course have a link in the show notes though. It, wherever you're getting this podcast, just search photographs, pistols and parasols. All right. Well, you know what time it is. Time, what time is it? It's Zena o'clock. <laughs> it's Zena o'clock. Wow. Yes. Nice. That's my favorite time. Yes. Uh, what do you have for us? Since I'm on the road, I don't have any zines with me, but you got some. I have one. I have one this Ooh. week. 
and it is Monochromania number eight. Dang, Mark. Yeah, he's at it again. He's at it again. It's Mark <laughs> O'Brien. We 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 told you we we're going to talk about him a little bit later. Later is now, and so this is issue eight, called Strictly Botanical. It's photos of plants from the past two decades. Mark went through his archive and selected images to form a cohesive collection. Vanya, is that something you would ever do? Oh my God. I mean, I would love to do it, but uh, I can't really technically say they're archives at the moment. Okay. I would say more of like a Vivian Mayer type thing. <laughs> so you're waiting for someone to discover them for you. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely. Someone, I need help. <laughs> <laughs> Lots. <laughs> so I've never been a big fan of photographing plants for myself, or really of plant photography in general, which I guess is everybody else. And yet most of my own photos have some sort of plant life in them. And every spring for the past few years, I've been photographing wildflowers. So maybe I am a bigger fan of photographing plants than I thought when I started that paragraph. <sighs> I really enjoy when men take pictures of flowers. Sorry. <laughs> that's that's fine by me. It's it's just nice to see that they can see something like so beautiful like a flower and and want to photograph it. I don't know, there's just something special about it. No, I agree. So I think for me what it comes down to is that I I don't know what I like. With portraits and landscapes, I can look at the photo and I immediately have an opinion, you know, an opinion it immediately takes shape. But with plant photos, I don't know how to parse them. An example is his uh, photo of Monarda in the frost. I'm really taken by it, but it's hard for me to explore it. There are some, like the photos of wild rye or of bee balm, that look like something I would take. Uh, same with like the soft focus of a daisy. But when I look at a photography book or, or a zine, I try to find scenes that I'd shoot myself, photos that make me feel jealous that I wasn't there. His photo of reeds growing out of the lake is a scene that I'd shoot all damn day long. And even the close-ups of Datura and Silver Dollars, which make up either side of the centerfold, both stark white against a black background, they make me want to at least attempt something like this. But I do keep returning to that field of frosted monarda. I, I believe these are usually purple, and looking at other photos of them, they're messy with leaves and shoots everywhere. But the ones that he's photographed, the ones, uh, they're stark, they're leafless. It's a very cold scene. They're, they have frost on them. These are captured well out of season. Maybe the petals were even dry and dead. At least it's how it seems in the photo. If there is a winter flower photo, this is it, and it makes me want to discover my own field of something like this, cold and dead and frosted and beautiful. I'm probably not the best person to review a zine of plant photos, but I love that I can still feel some sort of connection to photos that I could never shoot. Mark is uh, an institution. So pick up the new issue of Monochromania. You can follow him at MFO photos which i guess stands for motherfucking o'brien photos <laughs> on instagram and pick it up at <laughs> sorry mark <laughs> just pick it up at his etsy shop at mfo photos and we'll have a link in the show notes it is it is a very inexpensive zine and it's a very large zine, so please take advantage
All Through a Lens is made possible by our generous and amazing Patreon subscribers. Through their small monthly donations, we are able to afford to keep this podcast running. Patreon helps us cover expenses for hosting, for audio equipment. It helps us buy books for research and zines to review. To our Patreon subscribers, our most sincere, heartfelt thank you. We absolutely could not and would not do this podcast without you. And we have one new patron since last episode. It is Carl B. Which, looking at it now, it looks like Cardi B, but it is not. It is <laughs> Carl B. Okay, fine. When you subscribe to us on Patreon, you get monthly bonus episodes, full-length interviews, some random posts and photos, and much more extra nonsense. We've got three different levels of support, with the cheapest being less than a buck an episode. So head over to patreon.com slash lens for more info. Well, Vanya, this episode is winding down its sleepy way towards your bedtime. Mm-hmm. What do you have going on, I guess, for the rest of your trip? Ooh. Uh, I think I'm going to keep it a secret. You're keeping it a secret? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's 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 okay. That's completely okay. <laughs> I think, well, you know kind of on the same flow as uh miss mary winslow yeah <laughs> okay i just gotta get my mustache and my hat or whatever and and i'll be on the I, road I, I don't think she had a mustache but you should get one i mean yeah i think that she was missing the mustache i think that like kind of you know brings it yeah. all together well if you accidentally pick up any uh any guys who are maybe less than desirable make sure to drop them off at the nearest watering hole yeah, I will. You could ask me what I have going on next week. Eric, what are you doing next week? Well, I would like to make a recommendation. So we're in the middle of the state county harvest fair season. So maybe get out there and see what's there. Most of them have photography contests. And while the idea of competing when it comes to art is one of the stupidest ideas I think we've come up with as artists... It's really nice to see what's going on outside of our own little internet bubbles. I went to the Evergreen State Fair north of Seattle, and to be honest, the photography in the normal competition section was kind of uninspiring. That's a bummer. But you had a lot of regular photography, kids doing stuff, and then a few postcard-like photos from professionals and near professionals. What really blew me away was an exhibit that I didn't really consider. Most fairs have a 4-H club exhibit, In the past, it's mostly been about agriculture, and there's still a ton of that there. But 4-H has really expanded. The one I visited had a whole Minecraft thing going on. I have no idea what the fuck that is, but it it doesn't matter. (laughs) So 4-H has expanded into photography, and the photos submitted for this exhibit and not for the competition were so much more interesting, and to my eyes, better. I liked them more than the ones in the normal photography exhibit. Uh, I don't know why that is, hmm. but if you're there, check it out. Maybe maybe it's true everywhere. Maybe uh, the 4-H club around here has like a really good photography instructor. So I wasn't expecting any of this. Typically, they have cats, and I was there for the cats, and there were no cats this time. The cats are apparently only there on weekends, which as a cat 
friend, yeah, that's probably best. <laughs> but really, some absolutely wonderful photography. So my recommendation is uh, go to a state fair. And I'm planning on doing that hopefully before the next episode. Lovely. Vanya, do you have anything else to tell our friends? I do. Thank you for listening to All Through the Lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're at allthroughalens on Twitter. You can also check out our show notes on allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at SurfMartian on Instagram and at SilverWavesOfGrain on Grainery. And Eric is at Conspiracy.of.Cartographers on Insta and at ConsofCart on Grainery. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff, hashtag All Through a Lens Podcast to be featured. You can find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and else you can find podcasts so subscribe and leave us a review and thank you all so much for listening we love you and we'll see you next week at dev party uh vanya uh yes yeah um, uh you're already out shooting (laughs) um so fuck fuck yeah you're doing it (laughs) i guess so (laughs) let's go Can I say agriculture? I don't know. My God, I'm like having a stroke. I think so.